0: by emotion if it feels right then it must be right Well, who told you that if it's legal it must be right well who told you that you know emotion doesn't define righteousness neither do laws define righteousness the lord alone defines righteousness of all the people in the earth that should understand that the church the church should understand that. of all the people in the earth that should know that the believers should know that this world is not the world of our father we are in the world but what Come on, what, what do you think that means? We're in a system of thinking, but we are not part of this system of thinking. We are the contrarians. We are the advocates. We are the arbiters. We are the ones who stand between two worlds. We stand in this world having access to his world, bringing heaven to earth. Is that not what Jesus said? It's right over there on the wall, on earth as it is. That is the command. Your kingdom come, your will be done. The will of God in the earth is on earth as it is. And we are the ones who bring on earth as it is. That's our job. But you need to understand that this world, this system, this cosmos is corrupted. And it's been corrupted. And it's not under the influence of our Father. We are salt in the earth. We are light in the world. So this world system, if you're thinking this world system is going to work for you, you, you're, you're deluded because it won't. The system that works for you is the kingdom. That's why, as a Christian, you are to participate in and through the kingdom. Because the kingdom is what works for you. This world does not work for you. This world will grind you, consume you, destroy you, take everything from you, and leave you with nothing. The Bible says the devil makes his habitation a wasteland. And so this is everything, every part of this. And so what, that's why this drive in the believer's life is to draw from his kingdom. Then we flourish. Because the kingdom is always for you. But this cosmos is not. Just a thought. The second thing that's against us, and probably the biggest thing, is the word flesh. It's the Greek word sarks. So the word soma means body. The Greek word sarx means tissue or condition of. And so the problem, the thing that works against us is the condition of our flesh. So the world system works against us, and the condition, the fallen nature, the sarks of our flesh works against us. And then the devil works against you. Antidikos, You know what it means? The one who contends against you. The one who speaks and contends against what is spoken. The word dikos or diakonos is the word for instruction. Biblical instruction comes through something called didactic teaching. This is didactic teaching. To stand before and speak. It's exactly what Jesus did. Didactically taught the people. And the enemy is the one who opposes what is spoken. He opposes the Didactic. He opposes the promises. God, sp- God speaks, and he presents opposition. Does this make sense to you? This is, this is what he is. This is who he is. Antidekos. And the Bible says that, that that word, that word in the Greek, doesn't mean he just speaks against you. He speaks against you on, based on legal basis. He finds an issue within your life to speak against you on a legal basis. He contends with you at law and speaks against the promises of God. That's another story for another day but you need to know what he is. You need to know who he is. He's in many things. The Bible, there's like five or six names for the devil in the Bible, and each one of those names reveals his nature. He's a slanderer. He's an enemy. He's an opposer. He's an anti decos That makes sense, doesn't it? God says it, and he opposes it. You speak it, and he opposes it. I'm going to step into the promises of God. He's like, oh, well, really? Are you now? God's for me and not against me. Oh, really? Is he now? He's the one who puts to test the word of God in your life. He's the one who puts to test and finds legal cause in your life to accuse you. The accuser of the brethren is cast down. Another, another story for another day. you you all like, what? What's going on here, man? What's happening? It's important to know where the enemies are because you don't know what you're fighting. Right? If you don't know where they are, it's like this isn't a guerrilla war. The Bible tells us very clearly the thing that's, the, thing that's the, the enemy can't do anything to you unless you give him a reason to, or unless he already has something that you don't know about. Hmm? That's the only thing he works in disobedience. His authority in the life of the believer is only through disobedience. Yep. And he opposes kingdom. And most of the time when he's opposing kingdom, he's opposing kingdom on a legal basis that he already possesses, or he's looking to find a legal basis to oppose you. If God said it, you can have it. You just don't know how to fight this fight. You're fighting with ignorance. More arrogance, one of, the, one of the two. That's why it is. This kingdom is real, people, real. What God says will come to pass. What he has promised will come to pass. And if it has not, then there's a reason. And the reason is not his goodness. The reason is not that he has not spoken. The reason is you have an anti-dikos decos is opposing you. He is opposing what God has spoken, and he has a legal basis to do so. If you want God to prosper your finances, He cannot if you will not tithe. I got one. Let me talk to this side of the room. If you want the Lord, <laughs> if you want the Lord to bless your finances, He cannot unless you tithe. He cannot. You can do a lot of things in your own strength. But as I said last week, what you accomplish in your own strength can be lost because it was gained with human effort. What the Lord gives, the blessings of the Lord are sure, and he adds no sorrow to them. So when God blesses you, it can't be taken from you because it was endowed. And when the Lord endows you, the gifts and callings of God are with what? Without repentance. He doesn't change his mind. It cannot be taken. What you achieve in human effort, you can lose it. That's why Christians prosper and they lose it. They wonder, why did I lose it? Because it wasn't founded in Christ. And if it was founded in Christ and there was a storm that washed it away, get ready because it's coming back. And it's coming back tenfold. But don't tell me the Lord is blessing your finances and you don't tithe. Don't you tell me that because that's not biblical. It's not, come on. I'm going to talk to you, man. She's on, right? Don't tell me that because it's not true. This is why this is all this stuff is necessary. And what the devil will do to you, so all you financial people, and we have a lot of them here, you know, you financial people, you build things up and the devil strips it right from you. You ever wondered why that is? And he doesn't just strip it from you at, at any old time. He waits till you're at an apex. Hmm? He doesn't do it on the way up. He lets you get there and then he strips it and takes it because you don't know what you're doing and he knows it. Oh, yeah, because you don't know what you're doing. And then you know what he does when he strips it? He accuses the Lord to your face. Or he accuses you. You're not worthy. The Lord is taking it from you to humble you. Who told you that? Who told you that? He starts messing with you, trying to get you to believe lies, trying to corrupt your line of thinking. Telling you, this is why we are ravished. My people perish for lack of knowledge. And we think, we got to have biblical knowledge, therefore we don't perish. You know, you need to have kingdom knowledge biblical knowledge the letter kills you need kingdom knowledge Christian it's not just knowledge we have churches filled with people who can recite scripture on demand Galatians 5 verse 3 you know them serious we get up there we can just rattle them off we're filled with all the right knowledge but we couldn't care less we're filled with all the right knowledge but we can't manifest kingdom could we could it be that there's a problem I mean, I'm just wondering, you know, and maybe it's just me, but could it be that we're doing something wrong? The Lord is good. There are people in this room, because I can feel it. There are people in this room, there is a mandate over your life. Jesus doesn't bring the common to elevate. I don't know if you're aware of that. He doesn't bring the common here. The common don't come here. Because the common don't want the higher level. There are people here who have mandates There are global mandates. I feel the weight of it on the lives of some of the people that are sitting in this room, but you can't get it. And you keep wondering why. And it keeps being out of reach for you. It's there, but you can't get it, right? Or when you get up to it, it moves, or you get knocked back, yeah? And you keep thinking it's the Lord. Who told you that? That's not the Lord. That's the Lord believing that you know what you're doing. That God actually believes we know what we're doing. He does. Love believes all things. He actually believes we know what we're doing. He actually believes that we will take him seriously and we will partner with him in the things that we don't know. He actually believes that. But instead, we go into caves of right of religious doctrine. We go into these denominational and all of these religious frameworks, and we look good to each other, but we cannot achieve the purposes that God has placed before us. I don't care if I look good to you. I want to achieve the purposes God has set before my life. That's all that matters to me. Go oh, come on, I got one over here. Amen. Exactly. And you should, too. We should, we, should, we should grow tired of religious pretenses. If religious pretenses are not manifesting destiny, we should get tired of this at some point. You know, this isn't enough, right? It's not sufficient. And we shouldn't settle for average when we're called to exceptional. And we should be willing to fight. Put a rag on our head, a knife in our teeth, and backstreet alley fight until we get what is promised to us. Yeah? Contend for what is yours. Settle for nothing less. God's not holding it back. He's not. Just the thought. The devil contends at you. In Christ, we're given a new culture. So we have the world, the devil, and our flesh. In Christ, we're given a new culture. We have access to a new culture. Aren't you glad? You don't have to live as part of this world, right? This You will prosper when they do not. You will succeed when others are failing. You will rise when the world falls. God is not bound to human economy. I don't know if you're aware of that. He's not bound to a system of government. He doesn't care who's in office, God's eyes are not on Washington, they're not on Moscow, they're not on Beijing. His eyes, if you want to know where his eyes are, his eyes are on Jerusalem, actually. But he is irrelevant as to who's in power and who's not. I'm not saying that shouldn't matter, because it does. But to the Lord, it's irrelevant. And the Christian needs to know who we are. And we need to bind ourselves to a kingdom that is greater than this one. And we need to live from that kingdom with, with faithfulness and obedience Right? Not in pretense. Pretense. Lying vanities. I don't know why I'm saying all this, man. Lying vanities. One of the cultures, one of the problems in Jeremiah's day was the people were religious, but they were not effective. Oh, they had it all going on. They would come to church and do their little thing and shine and everybody look good and everybody acted good and everybody said, Bless God, brother. Hallelujah. They could all quote verses and then when they would leave, they would go right back to their selfish, worldly attitudes and lifestyles. Now, how'd you like to be? Everybody's like, "I want to be a prophet of God." Do you? Do you? Do you really want to be a prophet of God? God put to prophet Jeremiah outside the door of the of the of the church, of the temple. And He said, "Trust not in lying vanities." Stop putting your faith in lying religious practices. And you know what they th- you know what they did to him? They threw him in a pit. Right? That went over well, didn't it? <laughs> Don't trust in lying vanity. Stop acting religious. Give me faithfulness to the Lord. Give the Lord the offerings that he desires. That's what he's saying. A contrite and broken heart is their offering the Lord desires. Stop trusting in religious vanities. Throw him in the pit. <laughs> and they put him in stocks. <laughs> we all know what happens to people that are in stocks. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. let do a little research what they would do to people here in stocks, you know. Everybody's going to do some crazy things to you while you're bound in stocks. God gives us a new nature in Christ. If any man be, any person, any woman be in Christ, they are a what? You're a new creation. You're not of the old, you're of the new. And he's given us a new helper. Instead of an anti one who contends and speaks against, we have a parakletas. We have one who speaks for. We have one who advocates for. We have one who empowers towards. We have one who manifests for. That's who we have. You see how Jesus matters? (laughs) You are different than everybody else on the world. You are an exceptional breed. Lion's blood is in your veins, Christian. Sons and daughters, royal heirs, you are. Yes. From the lowest to the greatest among us. From the ignorant, even to the arrogant, we're still sons and daughters doesn't mean we're living that way, but we're still sons and daughters. We need to know what we are. We need to know who we are. We are exceptional in the earth, and we should settle for nothing less than that. doesn't mean we're above. We're empowered to bring the kingdom and flourish the earth. That's what we're empowered to do. We should never be beneath. We should be above only and not beneath. Is that not what he said? He said, above only. He didn't say above sometimes. He said, above only and not beneath. The head and not the tail, superior in every circumstance. There is no circumstance that should be above the believer ever. A believer should never be subjected, ever, ever, and yet we are. That's another topic for another day. Biggest problem is you. (laughs) Say it with me. The biggest problem, whether I want to admit it or not, is me. All right. If you were able to practice all the good you wanted to do in the world, this world would be different, would it not? You, you want to do good, right? You be like, yeah, I want to. Got some great ideas. Want to do all this, but something keeps working against us. And the biggest thing that works against us is ourselves. Romans seven. Here's Paul. Says the good that I want to do, I don't do. Can I get a witness? I wanted to say I'm sorry. I just couldn't bring myself to do it. <laughs> I really wanted to do the dishes, honey, but. I just couldn't get up off the couch to do it, you know. The good that I want to do, I just don't do it. But the evil that I don't want to do, this is what I keep doing. Now, if I do what I don't want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but there is a nature working in me, Sarks, the condition of my flesh. So in this law, there is something working against me legally. Although I want to do good, evil is there with me. For my inner being, my heart, wants to serve the Lord. But I see something else working in me, warring against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner and enslaving me to a work that is within me. How wretched I am. Who will rescue me from this body, this sarks, this condition of death in which I live? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ. So then I myself in my mind, I am a bound to the law of the Lord, but in my sinful nature, I am a slave to the law of sin. So this is interesting, right? It's one of the most quoted verses in all the scripture. But you've got to realize what's happening here. Paul's going through a progression of faith. If you know anything about Paul, Paul's an extremely interesting character. We all sanctify in St. Paul, oh, St. Paul, home, 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 St. Paul. St. Paul was a religious misogynistic bigot. Let's just be clear. Who, no, let's, let me say it again. St. Paul was a religious misogynistic bigot who came to Christ and was regenerated. Right, He was a murderer of believers, and he stepped into a world that he had never experienced before. This world was so overwhelming to him that the Bible says he left by himself for how many years? Anybody know? Three years he went to Damascus. Three years nobody could find Paul. Where would he go? I don't know. Rumor has it he's gone. Right? Paul went away for three years to try to understand this reality in which he had just found himself. He had entered into a world. This guy was schooled from the time he was a kid. And what Jesus was confronting himself was completely contrary to every religious instruction he had been given. Do you know why? Because the kingdom always clashes with religious thinking. Right? The church sets up institutions of thinking. And when you preach kingdom, people get just completely disoriented. Because it's contrary to religious systems. And what has to happen, and most people have too much ego to do it, when kingdom comes into the life of religious believers or trained believers. I'm not religious. Let's just say trained believers. When kingdom comes into the life of trained believers, what they need to do is take a step backwards, sit in the seat of the learner, and learn the new way. But they can't do that. Oh, I've been to seminary, Pastor. You don't understand. This isn't what Dr. So-and-so taught me. This isn't the theological degree that I carry. You realize I'm a reverend doctor and I carry all of these theological positions and I can, you know, recite. You know, well, could it be that they're wrong? Right? And so the kingdom comes in and the kingdom is always disorienting. You're stepping into his world. That's why. That's why Christians refrain from the spirit in general, is because when you enter the spirit, you're like, whoa. Anybody know what I'm hung up? I don't know where I'm at, but this is flipping cool. Right? That's the attitude to have. A lot of people go, oh, I don't know about that. Ooh, I don't know. You know, I'm sort of losing my, my balance here. Yeah, of course you are, because you're in his world. Paul was wrecked. He backed up for three years to learn something new. But it didn't, it didn't finish with Paul, because it was really ingrained in him. That Romans is written towards the end of his life. And Paul is undoing a lot of the teaching that he had early in his life. Hmm? Romans, and I'm not talking about theological teaching as it relates to Jesus. I'm talking about points of view that he had. In the book of Acts, Paul is circumcising. Is he not? Anybody with me? He's circumcised. In the latter part of Paul's life, Paul said it means nothing. Circumcision means nothing of the flesh. Regardless, it's not the issue. The circumcision is of the heart. But he didn't understand that in the beginning. In the beginning, in the book of Acts, Paul is is taking Nazarite vows. Is he not? Huh? Yes, somebody's saying yes. Paul takes a Nazarite vow. Will not touch certain things for a period of time, and when that period of time has elapsed, he's going to shave his head. That's a Nazarite vow. By the book of Romans, he says it means nothing. So Paul carried over into his faith a lot of the religious thinking that he had. And as he walked with the Lord, it became nothing to him. It became nothing. Do you understand that? That's important. Because Christians, have, oftentimes, if you're a student of the Scripture, I don't know if you are, but if you are, you should be in some level. If you are, you, you always see this almost contrast with Paul's life, right? So in Romans 8, 9, and 10, where he's completely obliterating the Jewish system, I mean, he's obliterating it. If you ever wanted to know if God's still was practicing Judaism, read Romans 7, 8, 9, and 10 in parts of 11, and you will see that Jesus has completely abu- obliterated Judaism. And so Paul is obliterating Judaism, yet we look at him in the book of Acts, and he's preaching circumcision, or he's telling them that he's practicing circumcision, and he's practicing the keeping of Nazarite vows because he had just come back. He was This is early, but later he's, he comes to this greater understanding that this means nothing. This is another point of understanding because Paul was taught to religi- live by externals. 613 laws, he tells us, in the book of Galatians, and he said, I was blameless. Are you innocent of 613 laws? I don't even think I'm innocent of 0.0613 laws. You know what I'm saying? But Paul had learned they had tup- they had kept- they had created a religious system and Paul was so good at it that no one could accuse him. God gives 10 commandments but the Jews are like, well, we can do better than that. And so they gave 613 in addition to the well 603 in addition to the original 10. And Paul said of the law of Moses, I am blameless according to the external practicing of the law I am blameless no one can accuse me based upon that that nuts and yet he sees here he's saying that it's not about externals it's about the internal and here he's struggling but he's come to this understanding now that this it's not about the externals it's about the internal it's not about the outward it's not about this it's about the Spirit. And this is important to know. Best intentions are not good enough. Paul's like, well, I meant well. <laughs> wasn't good enough. Jesus gives us access to a new world. Right? We do the same thing. We religiously train Christians. Jesus isn't looking for Christians who, are, who worship him in religion and truth. He's not. He's looking for Christians who will worship him in what? Spirit. There we are. Come on. Elevate. Unce, unce, unce. You got it? It's not that doctrine isn't important. It's not that teaching isn't important, but it is a tool that the Spirit uses. The Word of God is a tool that the letter kills, the Spirit gives life. We are proclaimers of the new covenant, the Bible says. We are the euangelion of the new covenant, not in letter, but in spirit, because the letter kills, the Spirit gives life. We proclaim the Ewangelion, the good news, right? We evangelize. That's where the word evangelism comes from. Not in letter. But in spirit, the spirit leads, the word supports. The spirit's actions are validated and supported by the word of God, not the other way around. Not the other way around. That's why so much word is not supported by spirit. There's a lot of religious teachings that have no spiritual support whatsoever. It's dead and cold. True. True. The spirit leads, the word supports. That's the idea. Jesus has given us access to a newer world. Paul was trained to live by the external. Paul lived by externals. He realized everything was meaningless. And here he is at the end of his life realizing life in the spirit is all that matters. Life in the spirit is all that matters. Everything else is vanity. Everything else is religious pretense. Everything else is empty. He's like, "I, I can't even get away from myself. If you've been a Christian for a long time, you ever wondered that? Why can't I get away from myself? No? Anybody? Anybody at all? That was me. That's been my quest of my life. How do I get free of me? How do I manifest this world that you have called me to? How do I become everything that this word tells me I am? I don't care what you got to do, Jesus. Make it happen. Change me. Destroy me if you have to. Grind me to powder. Mix me into a new mortar. Provide the elements into my life. Catalyze me into a new form. I don't care, but don't leave me the same. Where are you? Are you willing? He'll do it. You're going to hate the process, but you'll do it. But you're going to love, you'll love the product when he's done, but you'll hate that process. Because he will grind you. He will destroy every part of you. The Bible says this, he roots out, pulls down, then he builds in plants. He unroots, tears down, and then he builds in plants. There's a lot of believers who have never allowed the Lord to root out, and they've never allowed the Lord to tear down. Yet they're expecting him to build and plant. Jesus isn't building and planting unless you allow him to root out and tear down. Just a thought. And you know what he really does is he does it not once, but repeatedly. Because if you really want to follow the Lord, and if you really do, we say it, but we really don't put a lot of effort into understanding what that really means. We say we do, but we really don't put a lot of effort into it. We really don't. You know, I want to follow Jesus as long as it doesn't inconvenience me. I want to follow Jesus. I, I want to go to the next level as long as it doesn't cost me something. Right? This is what happens. What God wants to do is that every season of your life, he wants to root out and pull down so that he can advance you. It's not a one-time thing. It's a repeated thing. Some of you are stuck at a level, and you can't understand why. Because Jesus needs to root out and pull down some things in your life in order to advance you. And you aren't letting him, or you're not aware. Or what he wants to root is too vulnerable for you or what he wants to pull down, you're in too much possession of it. You're willfully embracing it too much. You won't let it go. He won't do it for you. We think God's just gonna do what he wants. No way, he doesn't work in your life without permission. If you think Jesus works in your life without permission, you are wrong. You're completely wrong. He only does what he's invited to do. It's called relationship. It's engagement. God will only do what you invite him to do. I wanna go to another level. Do you, Kevin? Do you really? Do you? Do you want to go to another level? I do. Are you able to enjoy the problem? I'll take you there. It's never, it's never the invitation is always open. Next level. Say it with me. Next level is always open. Jesus never denies. There is not one son and daughter in this room who has Christ in their heart where the next level is denied to you by the Lord. There is no level that God will deny you. None. But you have to engage the process and therein lies the problem. God said the do- the way is open. It's climbing a mountain. We use it like that. It's an easy way of looking at it. We climb the mountain. People don't want to climb the mountain. You know why? Because you sweat when you climb the mountain. You sweat. You have to. You, you, you might get bloody fingers climbing the mountain, Christian. Right? You're you're gonna get cold when you climb the mountain. Do you know why? Because as you higher you go, the atmosphere changes. And people don't like the higher atmospheres. They like the safe, warm, cozy little valley, and you can have it. You don't have to worry about it. How green is my valley? You'll have a green valley. You can have the green valley. I'm not even telling you you you, you should take the mountain. If you don't want the mountain, that's totally cool. I want the mountain. It's just me. You know, you can have a green valley. You can have the pasture. I like the view from above, personally. And I'm willing to endure the cold. I'm willing to endure the pain. I'm willing to endure the sleep. I'm willing to endure the shifting atmospheres. I'm willing to wait on plateaus until the weather clears for me to go higher. Most are not. They can't endure the pain that is caused. We've preached convenience Christianity. And so the American Christian who is the most endowed of all believers in the planet, let's just be be clear, we are endowed with more gospel than any other Christian, any other nation in the planet. We're the most endowed, yet we have been preached a, a different gospel that, that that trains us with this level of convenience. That anything God does, if it's, not conven- if it's inconvenient, it's not the Lord. And therefore, we live muted lives. Muted lives. True. Just a thought. Maybe it's just me. I don't know. It's just how I see it. The old nature wants to do what is easy. So your old nature wants convenience, Right? Real nature don't want to climb that mountain. I mean, your mind wants to climb that mountain. Woo, let's go. I want to climb that mountain, right? You ever wanted to do something, then you start doing it, and you're like, wow. I'm going to ride my bike five miles. You get to the end of the block, you're like, maybe not. I think I'm going to turn around and go back, you know, the store. In our hearts, we want to do it. But then when it costs it, we have to prepare ourselves for the journey. Our old nature, you got to realize your old nature wants to do what feels good. Your old nature wants to do what's easy. Your old nature wants to do what gratifies it the most. Whatever gratifies the old nature, that's what the old nature wants to do. Serve Jesus? Nah. Go to church this morning, sleep in. You're tired. You deserved it. Aren't we all? Is there anybody here that's not tired? Huh? Is there anybody here that doesn't, like, actually have a life, right? You know, we act like if we're just coming off vacation and coming out of the spa, then and only then would we go to church, right? Jody's in school, and she has a family with blind dogs, right? And she works a full-time job with underserved kids, and yet she's here every single week without complaint, leading worship. What's your excuse? What's your excuse? No, seriously. No, no, yeah, yeah, seriously. Yeah, what's your excuse? No, really, what is your excuse? Why can't you get out of bed? What's your excuse? I work too hard. Don't we all? Don't we all? Do you work Saturdays sometimes? Yep. 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 She cares for her mother, and she's got blind dogs. (laughs) I don't think I have the heart for a blind dog. I mean, she's cute and everything. She puts little bows in her hair and everything. There's Jody with her cute little bowed dog. Rosie just sniffs you. She can't even see if she likes you. She just smells you. Yeah, I like you. I like you. Yeah. Our old nature wants to do what is, what is convenient. People say, oh, I want to do what I feel because it's natural. So is arsenic, Christian. Arsenic is natural. Not everything you feel is what you need to do. Not everything that seems natural is what you need to do. There are lots of natural things that will kill you. Just felt natural. Just do what's natural. I just do what's natural. Here's arsenic. Oh, in a liquid form. Oh, it's natural. Just drink it. Oh, okay. (laughs) So what are the weapons that we have to overcome? Self-destruction. We have to overcome the things, the weapons that are used against us with self-destruction. The enemy's number one weapon, without question, there's others, but this is definitely top of the list, is shame and insecurity. He uses shame, guilt, and insecurity against the believer. Who told you that? He accuses you, belittles you, te- does all of these different things in your life, and it's rooted in elements of love and acceptance. There's, some, there's a lie in your heart that you don't believe you're loved and accepted. And therefore, there's a shame and insecurity, and he always uses that. Nobody at church likes you. I'm like. I'm like, nobody? Really? Like, nobody? Nobody at all? Nobody likes you? Really? Everybody's against you. Everybody? Really? Everybody? Shame and insecurity. You're not loved. You're not accepted. He uses these lies against us based upon the pains that we've experienced, the traumas that we've had. Jesus isn't like everybody else. Just so you know, thank you. Hallelujah. Excuse me for a moment. Jesus isn't like everybody else. So therefore, there is now no condemnation. Romans 8.1, for those who belong to Christ. Right now, there's no condemnation. You know what? Right now there's no condemnation. And you know what? Right now there's no condemnation. Right now, 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 now. Every moment forward you're in Christ, you are never, ever condemned, ever. You, the only one that condemns you is you. The only one that condemns you are those you allow to condemn you. The only voices that condemn you are the voices that you choose to come into an agreement with that are not the voices of your father. Those are the only voices that accuse you. And the only power that they have is the agreement that they get from you. Right? It's true. We empower the voices against us. Jesus isn't condemning you. Who told you that? For the power of the Spirit has set me free from the power that leads to sin and death. You're free. The law of Moses could not save us because of our sinful nature. There again, the external can't get it done. But God put into effect a different plan. He sent his son to become like us. And to accept our sinful nature, who to accept our sins. God destroys sin's control over our lives by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the requirement of the law would be accomplished for us, who no longer follow our sinful nature, but are led by the Spirit. So here's the key is to be led by the Spirit. You have to so how do you overcome this weapon? Anybody experience guilt and shame? You can raise your hand. Don't feel guilty about raising your hand. It's okay. You can feel (laughs) guilt and shame. You ever feel condemned? Huh? You ever feel unwanted? You ever feel? Let's use this one. Not good enough. Huh? Let's use this one. Not worthy. Right. Who told you that? Jesus isn't telling you that. Say this. I'm worthy because Jesus says I'm worthy. I'm accepted because Jesus says I'm accepted. And here's the common response. But I don't feel like it. Say this. If my heart condemns me, Jesus is greater than my heart and he knows all things. Your heart has no legal authority to condemn you. None. Your heart has no legal authority to exalt itself against what Jesus says unless you allow it. You have to tell yourself, I may not like me today, but Jesus loves me. Right? I'm going to get you all to raise your hand at some point because you're going to do it. You know, right? I just worship the Lord. Right? That lady just cut me off and took my parking spot at Best Buy. (laughs) She doesn't love me. But Jesus loves me. <laughs> I gave her a reminder that she's number one, but that's okay. I, now I feel bad for flipping her off, but hey, no, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. So, but I feel good because Jesus loves me. The Lord is with you. You have to remind yourself you're worthy because He says so. You have to tell yourself daily, repeatedly. You have to pound it in. The Bible says this in Philippians let this mind be in you that is also in Christ Jesus. You know what it means in the Greek? Pound it in your skull. Let this mind, this is how we write this stuff. We write it in this poetic fashion. I feel like ribbons should be, when, they, when we quote these verses, somebody should be running across the stage with ribbons. Let this mind be in you, Christian. That was also, in, so the Bible is way more barbaric than we want it to be. It's straight and to the point. Pound it in your thick head. Let this mind be in you. Let the mind of Christ be in you. Think as he thinks. See as he sees. Be as he is. Beat it in your head if necessary. Say it to yourself every day, every hour, every minute. Jesus loves me. Say it with me. The Lord is for me. Even when I am against me. Jesus loves me. Even when everybody else doesn't. Say this. No one, nowhere, has the right, including myself, to establish my value and worth, except Jesus. Jesus is the only one. Come on. Oh, come on. Jesus is the only one who has the legal right to establish my value and worth. This is my statement of record. Come on. Before the court of heaven. And I deny all other statements. To the contrary. No one has the right to define your value and worth. Your past doesn't define your value and worth. Your choices don't define your value and worth. Yesterday doesn't define your value and worth. Your wife, your dog, your cat, no one, your job doesn't define your value and worth. You are a son. This is again an error that we have. We, have, we, we, we get, get our value and worth from our jobs. I'm a school teacher. No, you're a daughter or a son who is a school teacher. I'm a mother. No, you're a daughter who is a mother. I'm a husband. No, you're a son who is a mother. Whatever we we are sons and daughters before we are anything, that precedes all. You understand that? You won't ever have a problem with identity anymore. You start understanding your your son. His father never rejects his son, man. He never rejects you. You are accepted in the beloved. Oh yeah. I'll give me another one. Here's Romans eight thirty three. Who will bring a charge of shame against the ones the Lord has chosen? That's the question. This is Paul's understanding. He's realizing no one has a right to condemn who God has chosen. No thing, no thing in heaven, no thing in the earth. No one has. And he goes further. Who is it that God, who is it that can condemn you? It is is the Lord alone who justifies. The Lord alone is the only one who has the authority to say you're right or wrong. And as far as your position, not your actions, your actions and your position are two different things. Can we say that? My actions and my position are two different things. Your position before your father, eternally, is son and daughter. Doesn't mean he agrees with your actions? Yeah? Doesn't mean he agrees with your thinking, but you are before him, and he has justified you. And no one has the right to remove you from that position. Nobody. That's why the devil's always trying to get you into an agreement to get you to shift from the position that is rightfully yours. That's why we say prayers. Today I take my rightful place. You have to take your rightful place. You are a son and a daughter. You are above, not beneath. It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? Who can condemn the sons and daughters? No one. Because Christ died for you. More than that, he was raised to life and is at the right hand interceding for us. Jesus is seated in the highest dominion. This is what he's saying. There is no dominion above the Lord's, and he has justified you. I don't feel like it. Doesn't matter. It's a fact. It's a fact. You have to tell yourself. So the thing, you have to get over shame and guilt. doesn't mean you don't feel the pain and the regret and all of that. That's trauma. You may be dealing with trauma. You may be There may be internal things that are there that affect you emotionally. But it should not be affecting you mentally. Right? The emotional damage or the emotional trauma that you carry as it relates to shame and guilt is a secondary issue. The way you perceive, that is the issue. You can carry pain and trauma, but you're still loved and accepted. You can pick, carry pain and trauma, but that doesn't mean you're rejected. Who told you that? Nope, Jesus isn't telling you that. Second thing is uncontrolled thoughts and perceptions. There you go. So the thing, the weapon that works against us, I'm only going to give you four. So I had seven last week. I thought I might want to condense that a little bit today. <laughs> These 40 things. No, I'm just kidding. The uncontrolled thoughts and perceptions. So shame and guilt the enemy uses, then uncontrolled thoughts and perceptions. These are weapons of mass, of self-destruction. So, what does that look like? It looks like stinking thinking and it looks like worldly thinking. That's what it looks like. So, the way you feel is a result of your perceptions. Oftentimes, we perceive things through the wrong lenses. Just because you perceive it, it doesn't mean it's truth. It may be reality, but it's not truth. Yeah? Your perceptions create a reality. But, truth say with me, Truth truth is not reality. As of son and daughter, come on, I am not to live by reality. I am to live by truth. Come on, you're going to get it. I pursue truth until truth becomes my reality. That's what we do. The reality is, the reality stinks, but truth is not the reality. We pursue the truth until the truth becomes our reality. Reality means you're broke, but that doesn't, that's not the truth. You're not, that, that, that's, that's not, that's not, that's not your, that's not the, maybe where you're living, right? Your children may be not walking with the Lord. That might be a reality. But the truth says that my children shall be taught of the Lord and grace shall be the peace of my children. Amen. The Bible says that uh, me and my whole household will be saved. That's a truth. Pursue that truth until that truth becomes your reality. Amen. Father, you said me and my whole household will be saved. I pursue this truth by faith and with action and intercession. And I pursue until I lay hold of this truth and pull it into my reality. And I will continue to do so until it comes. This is what we are. We pull from one world into another. We are fishers of men, not herders of sheep. Why? Fishing pulls from one world into another. It's the whole dynamic. See, that's a spiritual concept that religious Christians don't get because it's a spiritual concept. Jesus could have said, you're herders of cattle. He could have said, I'm going to make you all farmers. He said, you're fishers. Why fishers? Because fishing pulls from another world. We are designed to pull from another world. Spiritually, not religiously, spiritually. We pull and contend for that promise. And I'm going to lay hold of that promise. And I'm going to pull it into this world. And that promise is going to become a reality. And it will be a sign, an insignia, an ensign, and a wonder to all who see what just happened. So we are. Stop dumbing yourself down. Be what you are. Be who you are. You're, the way you feel is, creates is by perceptive thoughts. Your reality is not the truth, Christian. It's not the truth. The weapons of our fight are not, are, not the, are not the weapons of this world system, 2 Corinthians 10. On the contrary, we have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments in every pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of Christ. Everything that speaks against what God has said, you are to demolish it. You are to not give it a habitation. Oh, my marriage is over. Marriage is over. Did Jesus say your marriage is over? No, Jesus is telling me to love my wife, but my marriage is over. My ego tells me I just can't do it. My ego just doesn't want to submit, right? Every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ is to be torn down. Everything. Oh, you're going broke. Did Jesus tell you you're going broke? No, but my reality says I'm broke. I didn't ask you that. Did Jesus tell you you're going broke? No. No. Did he? No. Oh, I'm just a loser. I just everything in my life is just a failure. I'm just such a failure. Did Jesus tell you you're a failure? No. But your reality is telling you you're a failure. What does the Lord say? God not only will tell you the truth, he will give you instructions into it. Yeah? Lord, what's the key to the turnaround? I'm broke. Did, uh, Lord, what, what is the circumstance? What is your will for me Prosper- in regards to this? Prosperity. He'll tell you. What, Lord, And then we go, oh, prosperity. God's going to give me prosperity. Not unless you get his instruction. That's the second side of the coin. We take thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. And we punish or we execute, diminish, or d- d- we demolish what is against us when our obedience is complete. We all want vengeance. We all want recompense. We all want reconciliation or restoration. God said, that only comes when you do what I tell you to. That's another story. We have to take these thought captives. We have to know what is truth. We have to deny reality. You cannot live by reality. If you live by reality, you will fail. You will fail. Because reality will suffocate you till you can't breathe. Faith is the oxygen. Faith does not look at reality. Faith looks at truth. Faith does not see what is seen. It sees what is unseen. You understand that? And if all you're doing is looking at what is seen, you will suffocate. Just be clear. You have to shift. You have to shift from seeing what is into what is not. God who raises the dead, Bible says, and calls what is not as though it was. Huh? How's that for you? Your reality is telling you something and the Lord calls what is not as though it was. This is all looks dead. Jesus is like, doesn't look dead to me. I call forth life in the name of Jesus. He calls what is not as though it was. This is kingdom, Christian. This is not American Christianity. This is gospel of the kingdom. This is the heirs world. This is the world Jesus came to bring to you. This is what this is. He will turn it around. He will turn it around. Number three, compulsions. So you got to deal with your, the way you're thinking. Stop thinking like this world. You're discipled by CNN, MSNBC. And all Christians are more discipled by the nightly news than they are by the kingdom. That's a fact. We're a it's right. Well, I don't know, we're morons. But that's your that's your opinion. I, for the record, I didn't say that. So you know, anyway. <laughs> that was not me. Anyway, just kidding. And we go off and we get we 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 we, we react to everything, the, every cultural nuance that's going on. And they hurt us like sheep, you know, with a narrative. They hurt us. Man, if the Christian was to follow with one mind the things that God says, oh, my gosh, we'd be unstoppable. We'd be unstoppable. You know, don't react to everything. Go, oh, my gosh, did, did you see what's happening? And I'm like, no, I don't watch the news. They're like, you don't watch the news? I'm like, no. You're like, you don't care what goes on in the world? I said, no, not really. Do you know why? Because I only care what goes on in my father's world. That's all I care about. I don't watch the news. Every now and then I'll look at a headline. And I'll be like, oh, wow, what's going on there? <laughs> Just the thought. Just the thought. Finally, brothers, whatever things and sisters, whatever things are true, think on the good things. This is what the Bible is telling you. Shift your thinking. Stop being influenced by a worldly culture. That they're godless. Godless. You let godless people dictate your thinking? They're godless. You listen to the dictates of godless men and women? What? Stop bowing at their altars. They bow at the altar of fear and corruption. Stop bowing at their altars. True. True. Come on. Change your thinking. Change your pattern. Change your thought pattern. Change your way of speech. Change your friends. Change your association. Whatever it takes, shift your thinking. Think on what is true. Compulsions are unrestrained behaviors that have produced a negative effect. You ever wonder why you did something? You're like, I did, man, why did I do that? Why did I say that? Why did I go there? Why do I why did I feel driven to that? Anybody? Y'all have them. So stop acting like you don't. Every human has compulsions because every human's been wounded. Compulsions are at the root, are rooted in, in wounds. They are. They are. Compulsions have triggers. Compulsions aren't just actions. Compulsions can be feelings. Somebody says something to you and you just fall into this state of depression. Right? You just all of a sudden, this whole thing just comes on you. And nobody did anything to you intentionally, but it triggered something within you and created a compulsive behavior within you. Mm -hmm. And not just the compulsive behavior or feeling, it creates compulsive thinking. Compulsions have triggers. They're triggered by something. Most of the time when people are acting compulsively, it's because there's something missing, right? So this is how Jesus sees you. You know how Jesus sees you? Because he's so good and he's so beautiful. Do you know how he sees you? There's nothing wrong with you. It's only what's missing. That's how he sees you. He, oh, come on, it is good. He doesn't see you like that. He looks at you and doesn't say, well, this is what's wrong here. He looks at you and he says, Kevin, this is what's missing. You don't fully grasp the concept that you are loved. What's missing is not just the concept and the depth. What's missing is the healing of the wounds and the traumas that you've experienced. What's missing is the removal of the lies that have bound themselves to your life since the time you were a child. That's what's missing. He doesn't look at you and go, this is what's wrong. This is my dysfunctional son, everybody. This is what's wrong with him. We look at each other in that context. He doesn't see you that way, never. He only sees you from what is missing. That's why love is acting in your highest good. Do you know what he's trying to do? Give you what's missing. Give you healing. Give you restoration. Give you wholeness. Give you a new way of thinking. Give you a new way of living. He loves you. That's agapeo. That's what he's doing. He's seeking your good. He's trying to bring into your life what you're missing. (laughs) You have a perception issue. You have a this issue. You have a greed problem. You have an ego issue. You have wounds, traumas, lies that manipulate and control your behavior at every turn. Proverbs 27 7 says this, a satisfied soul doesn't even want a candy bar. Right? Satisfied soul doesn't even want a honeycomb. But to those whose souls are hungry, even what is bitter is sweet. hmm. What is that? That's a compulsion. You end up going after bad love because bad love's better than no love at all. Oh, I got one over here. Is anybody else around here? right you go go you go after wrong things because the wrong thing is better than no thing at all the bitter is better than nothing because the soul is hungry uh huh the mind the will and the emotion is always there it's something within the soul that draws you to a hunger that is even if it's bitter it seems you still want it that's a compulsion. That is dealt with in a root. There's a root in your life that has to be dealt with. There might be, there's probably 50 of them. People think inner healing is a one-off. Inner healing is not a one-off. Inner healing, deliverance, say it with me. Deliverance, deliverance. is a lifestyle. a lifestyle. It's part of the kingdom lifestyle where we are progressing through the deliverance of evil in our life. We are progressing through every area in our life where there is dominance and control that is not by our fathers. We are going to be delivered of. But I'll give you the truth. I'm going to give you the truth, right? I only got one more point. (laughs) So let me give you some more truth. Here's the truth. Your healing, say it with me. You're not going to like it. Just grab the chair. Everybody grab the chair. Grab the chair. Grab the chair. Come on, grab the chair. Say this. Where there is no challenge, there is no change. That's right. There's no challenge, Christian. There's no change. Huh? Say this. My healing, my restoration, my destiny is on the other side of my vulnerability. However, my ego, my pride, will always defend what is vulnerable to me. Therefore, I must crucify my ego and come to the level of acceptance of my weakness and my vulnerability because his strength can only be perfected in my weakness. Let me put it for you in real time we got wounds and traumas, but our ego always protects it. Your ego will always protect your wound and trauma. Your ego will always protect what is vulnerable to you. And that is how the enemy enslaves you. That is why you remain slaves in certain areas of your life, because you cannot penetrate the veil of your ego and pride to humble yourself to a degree to go to the level of vulnerability that is required. That is a fact. That is a fact. And that's why we remain in areas of our lives that are in bondage, because we can't get to the point of vulnerability. And why? Because ego, oh, no, no, that's not true. Oh, no, no, that's not true. Oh, no, I think, I think. No, no, it's not what you think. You know nothing. So stop telling me what you think, right? Let's just take a look at this area of your life. What is it producing? Oh, that's what it's producing. But you seem to think you know something here. You know nothing. So stop lying to you. Stop lying to yourself. You can keep your, like I tell people all the time, you can keep crazy if you want it. Crazy's been with you a long time. Keep crazy. Keep crazy. I don't need to help you with crazy. You like crazy, keep crazy. Keep it. Your wife may not like crazy. Your husband may not like crazy. Everybody around you may not like crazy, but you like crazy, so keep crazy. Compulsions are rooted. So these roots have to be dealt with. And those roots can only be dealt with through vulnerability. You will never unroot the root of a compulsion unless you can go to the level of vulnerability. You need to write that down. There's no other way. I'll give you the tools. I know all the tools. How do you know about compulsions? Because I've had a lot of them. I've had a lot of them. And I was not satisfied with what was dominating me. I don't want nothing dominates me but the Holy Spirit. That's, That's my life. Nothing in no way, in no regard, in no arena, in no atmosphere, in no place will dominate me. Nothing. I will allow nothing to dominate me. Why? Because the Lord has promised. That promise is over all of you too. It doesn't mean it's a reality in your life. That promise is over you. But yet, yet we're not there. Right? Another story, another day. Compulsions have to be unrooted. You have to unroot them only by going to vulnerable places. And the only way you're going to vulnerable places is if you shoot the traitor that's called ego. Ego. You have to execute the ego traitor every single time. That is an enemy that will lay down the gates and allow your city to be pillaged. Ego is not your friend. Pride is not your friend. Who told you that? I have nothing to maintain. I am what I am. (laughs) There are tools. These tools can be used by force of will. However, force of will can't get it done all the time, right? So you you can do things to overcome your compulsions, right? This is compulsive behavior we're talking about. We're Christians. We act like we don't have any compulsive problems. We have a lot of compulsive problems, right? right? <laughs> there are tools that you can use to overcome your compulsions. However, these tools are exerted. So, and, and if you heal the root and the compulsion goes, isn't that a lot better than having to maintain all the time? Right? The maintenance is good. If you don't have any other tool, use these tools. But I, didn't, I found myself unsustainable in the tools that I was using. I would use these tools, and I couldn't change it. Uh, there were lies that were rooted in me. And no matter how many times I changed my thinking, which I would do, sometimes I would be tired and I wouldn't be able to do it. Or sometimes I would be tired of changing my thinking and I wouldn't be able to do it. And I found myself mastered by things that I didn't want to be mastered by. Hmm? You accept it. That's what happens. I didn't want to accept it. I'm like, this is not acceptable to me. Most, of them, most people accept that as a reality or normal, and that's fine. You can have it. I'm just kind of giving you my journey here and where where I'm at. And I'm not, you know, trying to tell you to do anything you don't want to do because that's completely different. But what I will tell you is spiritual disciplines are unsustainable. They're not. You cannot sustain yourself with spiritual disciplines. However, spiritual disciplines are necessary. What's a spiritual discipline? Um, Walk in the spirit and you will not gratify the compulsions of the flesh. That's a spiritual discipline. What does that mean? Get in the spirit. Get in the spirit. When you're in the spirit, you don't have any compulsions, do you? Love Jesus. However, anybody here 24-7 walking in the spirit, anybody want to testify on that? No, it's true, right? I'm, 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 I'm pushing daily, right? Daily is my goal, and sometimes I can't get it daily. Sometimes the sun's setting and the Lord's like, hey, man. And I'm like, I know. <laughs> I'm like, I know. Yeah, See, this, but that's a discipline that's very difficult to maintain all of the time. But when you are in the spirit, you overcome all things in your compulsions. However, there is a way to get rid of the compulsion entirely. How do you know? Because I've done it. So, dear brothers and sisters, you have no no obligation to live according to your sinful nature. You're not obliged to live that way. Get in the spirit. Fear and hopelessness is the last one. I'm going to wrap it up quick. This is another weapon of mass destruction or self-destruction. Say it with me. Fear is not of God. Fear is not of God. It's not of the Lord. God has not given me. There we go. Come on. Tell me. Yes. Oh, yes. Those who are led by the spirit of God are God's children. We want to be sons and daughters. We have to allow the Holy Spirit to lead us. We cannot be sons and daughters without the Holy Spirit leading us. For the spirit, for the spirit that God has given does not make us slaves, thank you, Jesus, or cause us to fear. Instead, the spirit makes us sons and daughters. And by the spirit's power, we cry, Father, my Father. God's Spirit joins with our spirits in proclaiming that we are the sons of God and daughters of God. So what happens is the Holy Spirit empowers that relationship of sonship and daughtership. You cannot, you can conceptually understand that you're a son and daughter, but that spirit, that relationship becomes empowered by the Holy Spirit. When you begin to worship in that aspect as son and daughter, the Spirit empowers that relationship and magnifies it and unites it. So here's the question. How do you overcome fear? Let's just, I'll, I'll give you a couple quick, quick things. Let me just jump on hope and then I'll come back to fear and we'll close it. Say this with me: Every area of my life that is not glistening with hope is under the influence of a lie. Let's just say that again. Every area of my life that is not glistening with hope is under the influence of a lie. What area of your life is there no hope? There's a lie there. Who told you that? The Bible says, Jesus is hope personified unto Jesus Christ our hope. He is hope. He is hope. So the question is, is what are you afraid of and why are you afraid? You want to deal with fear? Ask that question. What am I afraid of and why am I afraid? Right? I'm afraid. I don't know. I don't want to make a mistake. If the Lord's told you, do it. But you got to ask yourself, what is it that I'm afraid of? Failure, right? Why am I afraid? I'm afraid that if I fail, people will perceive me wrong. Okay, fear of men. I'm afraid that if I fail, I won't be able to recover, right? Fear of insufficiency, right? So you have to understand what you're afraid of and why you're afraid of it. Your God's, so th- this, is, this is how you unroot fear. You identify where the fear is coming from. Fear is a natural emotion. It comes to us as humans. But the bondage of fear is not yours. Yet we live in bondages of fear. Any area that binds me with fear, I'm going to attack it. Fear is my enemy. Fear is the emotion of fear. Sometimes when I feel fear, you know, like don't step out in front of that car. Okay, that's like whoa, you know. But when you're like, uh, you know, fear, that's that's not of God. Gideon was the epitome of fear, right? If there was a poster child for a chicken, I'm almost done. There's a poster child for what a chicken looked like in the Bible. It would be Gideon. The guy was afraid of his own shadow, hiding in a wine press, eating grain. You know, man of valor, he's looking around like, who, who are you talking to? You talking to me? Right? And I think the Lord was like looking and goes, who's the biggest chicken we have out there? You know, looking around, looking, and I don't know. Nah, he's still got guts. I don't know who has got. Hey, how about that guy? Yeah, that guy. Yeah, guy. Jesus chooses the biggest chicken and gives him the largest assignment. And he kept making excuses and making excuses. And the Lord said to him, say it with me, go in the strength that you have. Right. For you will accomplish, he tells him, you will accomplish what I have sent you to do. Some of you, you've been told of the Lord to do certain things. You have your instructions, yet you can't do it. And you're afraid to do it, and you won't step into it. And the Lord says to you, Go with what you have, and I'll fulfill my word. I'm not fulfilling my word until you go with what you got. But I don't have enough. Who told you that? Go with what you got. But I'm afraid. Do it afraid. Hope. What lie do I believe that is robbing me of hope? Who told you that? Where is the lie that is robbing you of hope? Who told you it was going to fail? Who told you it was over? You you can't get any more failure than death, right? When something dies, it's pretty much, that's it. Clocks run out. But Jesus is the God of the resurrection, is he not? So who told you it was dead? (laughs) If we serve a God of resurrection, how is it dead? Romans tells us we carry resurrection power. Within us, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, resurrection power lies within the believer, which means we have an ability to bring things back to life that's another thing why hope hope produces faith the enemy tries to rob you of hope because hope is the basis of faith you cannot have faith without hope and faith is the currency of heaven so why does the enemy try to steal hope because number one when hope is gone you want to quit as long as you got hope you're going to fight on are you not right if there's hope let's fight let's go still got a rifle and a hand grenade let's go You know what I'm saying? (laughs) We're down to sticks and stones. Let's go. There's still hope, right? As long as there's hope, you'll go. That's why the enemy's trying to rob you with hope. And the way he robs you with hope is with lies. He robs you with lies. He uses lies to get you into an agreement to partner with him to steal your hope. Because if he can get your hope, he's got your faith. And if he's got your faith, you have no currency in heaven. Your currency in heaven is that your access is based upon your identity. But your currency is faith. Faith is the currency of heaven. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, for they that come to him must believe that he is and he's a rewarder. Faith is the currency of heaven. When you have faith and you put faith in, you have hope and you put faith in God's promises, you activate the trading floor, the currency currency of heaven begins to move. It begins to move. Heaven begins, heaven moves with faith. Read the story of Jesus. Nothing moved him like faith. He actually stepped back when people gave him faith couldn't believe it. Every, every, almost all, most of the because faith is that currency. This is why the enemy wars against your hope and tries to get you to quit. So here it is, last thing. Call upon the Lord. Call upon his promises. So how does the enemy, eat? What is? what are the weapons of self-destruction? Shame and insecurity. What's the tool? No one defines you but Jesus. Uncontrolled thoughts and perceptions. What's the difference? Romans 12.1, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Change the way that you think. Tear down things. Compulsions. That's the third weapon of self-destruction. <laughs> Compulsions. Deal with the root and get in the spirit. Those are the tools. Fear and hopelessness. That's the weapon. What are the tools? We are. What are the lies that are producing these fears? What are the lies that are causing? What lie do I believe that tells me it's hopeless? What, what fear? What am I afraid of? Why am I afraid? Get to the bottom of it. Right. These are the tools that enable us to overcome these things that will work against us. Amen. Amen. I got amen over here. Amen. Amen. All right. Hey, if you're watching us by live stream, we want to tell you that Jesus loves you. We're going to do a quick prayer here because we want to give you an opportunity. Some of this stuff might seem new to you. Some of this stuff might be over your head. But that's okay, because Jesus has called you and we believe that you're watching this message for a reason. And so the Bible says this. if If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away, and all things become new. Every single person on this planet has a problem. It's a sin problem. We're born separated from God. Every single one of us has it. The Bible says this, that the wages of sin is death. All of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. We're separated from his goodness, and that the separation, the penalty, or the price, or the thing that we've come under is an eternal judgment. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is life eternal in Jesus Christ. So the Lord came to offer you an opportunity to come into his family. You say, I'm already a child of God, not without Jesus in your heart. The Bible says those who believed in Christ are given the right to be called children of God. If you're watching this and you've never given your life to Jesus, and you've never opened up your life, and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, you are not saved. Saved from what? Saved from the penalty of sin. God never judged man, but he has judged sin. And apart from Christ, man is under sin. Therefore, man is under judgment. When you receive Jesus, you come out from under judgment, and you come into Christ. The Bible says you're translated from darkness into light. You come into an entirely new world. Amen? And if that's you, we want to pray with you. And we're going to just ask you to say a simple 40-second prayer. Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and he is raised from the dead you'll be saved. Say, I don't understand it. You don't need to understand it. The Bible doesn't tell us to understand it. It just tells us to do it. And so we're going to pray. We're going to pray here together. And if you're, that's you in this room and you've never done it, open up your heart and just pray with us. I'm going to say, dear Jesus, I believe, come on, you are the Savior, and I need a Savior. I may not understand this, but I choose to believe it. And so I open my heart to you, Jesus, and I ask you to come inside. I ask you to forgive me, I ask you to restore me, and I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you. And all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you prayed that prayer, hit us up on email. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to connect with you a little more. For those of you that are here, we have a prayer team available, and I'm going to say one more blessing over you, and then we are going to dismiss. If you need prayer at all, they're over there. So, Father, we just thank you for that. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way. May he give you peace, and may you forever live within his favor. In Jesus' name. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week.